Hey, Jordan, what's up? How's it going? Hey, Rob. What's up, man? Oh, you know, just had a little lunch. Feeling pretty, feeling pretty good. Had my, uh, had my daily rain energy, total body fuel. So I'm feeling, I'm both, I'm feeling both physically refreshed and Uh incredible increase in mental clarity as well. So feeling pretty good right now. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And on that front, I was just thinking, I was kind of banding around some ideas. I was thinking about a new segment for the podcast. I have a new segment idea. I don't know what you think about this. Let's hear it. So, okay, so it's something I don't I need to workshop the kind of language a little bit more. I don't know if this is what I want it to be called officially, but it's the kind of idea is like a it's like a cheers and jeers thing, okay? It's mm-hmm. like you have a little segment on the show, you take one thing, hey, this is a good thing that we like, that we support. Another thing, not so much. Another thing we're not so happy about. It's just kind of a way to fill up time, you know, it's like a good way to highlight things that we're excited about, things that are kind of problematic throughout the week. Like what did, you, did that work for you? Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah. Let's do it. I like it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, because here's the idea for the first, the very first uh, cheers and jeers segment. Okay. Uh, number one, jeers, and I know you're going to agree with this. Jeers to the sunrise movement. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if you saw this week. They're really causing problems for the Biden administration. They're kind of kicking up this big tantrum, a big making a big fuss about some of his cabinet appointments, and it's just that's been really frustrating to see that. You know. Yeah, I think um, what they don't understand is how you affect change. And the way to do that is to propose a climate bill that Republicans can get on board with. And if you're not going to do that, I mean, you're just a stupid kid. So, yeah, I mean, Biden's uh, getting back in them. He's getting Biden's getting back on that Paris Agreement, the non-binding mm-hmm. Paris emissions targets. Like, can't they just be happy with that? I don't see what the big problem is. Yeah, I, I'm they just don't understand. Um they, they, they don't get it. Yeah. I think everyone who is writing them checks uh, is also complicit in yeah. their regressive approach to climate um, climate activism. Yeah, they're actually making the climate worse by supporting them. Very disappointing. It's their fault. Yeah. yeah I mean, I would I rather have the, corp- the oil, oil companies on my side. Yeah, unless you want the oil companies helping the Republicans. But I think... Right. Exactly. Yeah, ridiculous. Jeers. So jeers all around. Jeers to the Sunrise Movement, definitely. And cheers... And I know you're going to be excited about this as well. To to Avril Haines, mm-hmm. yeah, the woke girl boss queen, you know me so well. the director of national intelligence. Really exciting stuff. You know, we love to see those glass ceilings getting getting smashed, don't we? We love it, folks. Uh, yeah. There's just something to be said for gender equity uh, at the top levels of our national security apparatus, and it's time that uh, a woman was at the helm. And now, when we bomb countries around the world, they can look up at those yeah. drones or at those Hellfire missiles and know that, hey, you know what? Yeah, inspiring. Maybe a woman called the shots on this one. And I think that's something around the world. Yeah, I think people could look up to it. It's representation. Uh, I think little little girls around the world can look up and, 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 and yeah. uplift it and see themselves in Avril Haines. So I think this is cheers. cheers yeah, and I, I mean, she also backed Gina Haspel who was uh, as as enduring her tenure as the, as the CIA chief who interfered in the Senate's torture investigation which is you got two queens there it's really inspiring yeah big time cheers to the Biden administration for some of these moves this week Hello, hello and welcome everyone. Uh, It's the Insurgents episode 49, uh, and this is Rob Rousseau here. What's up, Rob? It's uh, Jordan Mule here. (laughs) Hey, man. I think I see you're coming along with doing, you're doing the intro lately, the last couple Uh, times. I've been working on it. I've been practicing in the mirror. (laughs) It's very impressive. (laughs) No, No, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, We're getting into Christmas mode over here. We got our Christmas tree. We're getting into the decorations. We got some wreaths. We're getting into this into the spirit. You guys celebrate Christmas too? This is a kind of an American thing, I thought. Yeah, I mean it's illegal. It's technically illegal here uh, in Canada, but you know if you kind of just do it. Oh, because on the sly, I guess I probably shouldn't be admitting to it on this podcast. That wasn't what we're trying to do here. 
we're trying yeah, to make it illegal here. Because of our I'm, communist I'm leadership here over the, over the decades, I mean, we already got there a while ago, but um, that's awesome. we'll get there eventually in the United States as well. But You're just kind of a dissenter, though. Yeah, you know, it's just kind of fun. You kind of get that kind of punk rock feeling, going against the grain kind of thing. Yeah. That's nice. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, nothing more punk rock than participating in one of the most, like, yeah. uh, consumerist, uh, materialistic holidays. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It's very. I hate Christmas, by the way. I, I hate it. I think it sucks, and I f- fucking hate the season. Hate the music. Hate everything about it. Cannot wait till it's over. Really? Give me to Jan- yeah. Give me to December twenty sixth, please. Fucking hate it. We got a we got a Grinch here. over here. My you goodness. Say that. Yeah. It sucks, <laughs> dude. It fucking sucks. <laughs> I hate. I, I I hate it. I hate Christmas so much. What What are you gonna do? Buy me a bunch of plastic fucking crap that's gonna sit in my apartment for a year before I throw it away and collect dust. You're wasting your money. You're just giving your fucking like everything about this season is about giving your money to some fucking corporation, giving your money away to some company that doesn't fucking care about you that ruins the world. For what? And under the auspices of, oh, I care about you. Sharing is caring. Like, give it, you know, it's a season to give. So you just fucking burn through your money. Give it to some company. For what? For cheap fucking plastic crap? Or diamonds that some fucking kid was, like, shot for in, like, some African war-torn country? Hate. I hate this fucking season so much. <laughs> it sucks. There's no redeeming qualities. There's no redeeming qualities to Christmas. Even the traveling to see your family fucking sucks it's a headache and everyone is fucking miserable and they put themselves first in the in the fucking airport or every transportation center whatever like a train station whatever to do what to get somewhere 15 minutes faster people are fucking psychotic at christmas it sucks as i can sit in my apartment by myself away from all these fucking freaks get away from me christmas sucks <laughs> well I'm i am sorry look, i am I looking forward so much i am looking forward to getting an air fryer potentially that could be kind of a cool kitchen thing <laughs> i was kind of open for <laughs> But uh, I do agree with the traveling <laughs> yeah. part. I, I've always hated that as well. And uh, that's one of the things that, you know, there's no good size to this global pandemic that's just ruining everyone's lives and is, is resulting in so many like uh, deaths, unnecessary deaths. But that's one thing is you can kind of say like, oh, darn, because of the pandemic, I can't make it this year. Unfortunately, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to cancel that one. Duh. You know, I'm well, so frustrated by that. Well, I don't know if you saw the air, U.S. air travel uh, hit uh, a peak. In traffic that they hadn't seen since um, like March. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. So no lessons learned. That everyone's <laughs> just gonna get sick and spread it around the country, and we're all gonna be stuck inside longer. Yeah. Well, you know, true freedom, which I believe is in the U.S. Constitution, but true freedom uh-huh. is the ability to go and and give your grandmother a potentially deadly respiratory illness. Mm-hmm. And really, Americans going on spreading disease and pestilence across the nation. That is a time-honored Thanksgiving tradition as well. So, Yeah, what better way to observe <laughs> Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh, boy. Pretty grim. Yeah. Pretty grim stuff. Um, we do have a good episode coming up. Uh, I mean, it's good. It's kind of depressing. Um, yeah. Talking about the kind of looming eviction crisis and uh, particularly focusing on some of the viral videos that were coming up uh, out of El Sereno, where you had these uh, California Highway Patrol fucking goons uh, basically hogtying teenagers and moms and, and removing them from their uh, from their shelters. These were like unhoused people that are that are taking over uh, and occupying housing which is owned by the state that's there uh no one's living there uh and they're trying during this uh you know the day before thanksgiving in the middle of this global pandemic they're trying to take shelter there uh, and they're being like abused and humiliated by uh by uh, uh chp so we did have on uh richie sergenko uh he's an organizer with a people city council and sunrise in la so we were able to talk about this this crisis and the looming climate crisis, the way that uh, the sort of political establishment in the United States is not really meeting any of this with anything resembling the uh, forcefulness that they need to to actually confront it. Uh, and we had a pretty, it was a pretty frustrating conversation, but it was, uh, I think it was, it, we got to some positive places as well. Yeah, I think well, most of our conversations ended up getting pretty depressing. But <laughs> Yeah, we kind of can't seem yeah. to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of that's how things are going <laughs> in the United States and elsewhere right now. It's kind of nowhere. There's no getting around that. Uh, but we did. I think we did. I was proud of the way we, that we did in this conversation with Richie get into some actual like productive solutions. 
I know a lot of people that probably listen to this show are really disillusioned with, uh, you know, electoralism and are wondering, like, how they can actually affect change. And I think we actually did. We did get into some, like, tangible things that people can do to kind of make an impact on the local level. And, and, and I think that was pretty I think that was people are going to be really interested in that. Before we get to Richie, I, there's not much else I wanted to talk about before, but I just did want to mention just because in our last episode with Ken, who thankfully is just no longer in the office, it's really really a relief actually that he's he's no longer there we finally we finally solved the ken problem um but along the way we were talking about uh some of the shifts that donald trump was making in his kind of like foreign policy team and i think we saw uh, the beginnings of like uh, kind of what is being planned there this week with the killing of like one of the heads of the iranian uh uh, nuclear program this kind of assassination that took place in broad daylight this was like coming this was like a week or two after pompeo went for this trip where he met with uh, mbs and uh, and netanyahu this was all done under the guise of like bringing these these nations together normalizing the relations with these nations uh, but obviously there was some covert shit going on uh, in addition to that i don't know it's pretty troubling it's pretty troubling. Uh, we've mentioned a couple times on the show about how Biden's foreign policy, uh, there's a, in all likelihood, will probably be even worse and more destructive than Donald Trump's, which was already pretty terrible. Uh, the sort of one bright spot of that was the idea that possibly the United States could get back into the Iran deal. And it seems like this is a move to not only like uh, hurt Iran and, and, and uh, you know, assassinate, obviously, the, the scientists behind their nuclear program, but I think it's going to make it a lot more politically difficult for Joe Biden to get in there and then try and like stabilize this region and and possibly get back into the deal. I, I don't know if that's going to be the end of, of what they're planning either. Uh, but we're it feels like we're starting to see sort of the beginnings of of uh, this this kind of strategy of Trump to create as much of a mess as possible before handing the reins to Biden. And it I don't know it's uh, it's kind of kind of alarming seeing where else this could go. Yeah, this we've got another month of this. They're going to start as many fires as possible. We talked about in the last show how it went from like them fiending outrage over the W keys on keyboards to now just like, as we see, yeah. you know, you see the meeting with like uh, the Saudis and Pompeo and Israel, and now all of a sudden Iran's top nuclear scientist is dead. We're going to see increased aggression towards Iran, likely trying to escalate it to some sort of conflict. Uh, across the board, you're going to see like the D- Department of Justice is now trying to rush through all of these new measures for executions bringing back really archaic and cruel uh execution methods like firing squads and poisonous gas like what the what is this this is like fucking like 16th century bullshit yeah like they're just trying to make things as disgusting and cruel and horrific as possible uh because then it would just it's more fires to put out for the for the biden administration it's it's an absolute mess so i i think We've talked about it before about like the quote alleged coup talk. I, I mean, they, they've they've got nothing. They keep getting cases dismissed. They keep getting thrown out. They're not actually alleging in court that there's fraud. They're alleging it on TV and in press conferences, and they just keep getting these cases dismissed. So like this is all just a fucking charade to get fundraising. So stay alert on all of this other stuff that's happening. Like they're diverting your attention to this bullshit like election results spectacle while behind the scenes they're doing all of this other kind of stuff so focus on what they're actually doing and I, so another thing too is that i can't help but wonder if this isn't like doing joe biden a favor almost because it's politically it would be politically really difficult for him i think to get back in that iran deal if iran was even on board with it obviously there's a lot of people i think within his camp um he's going to be facing a lot of pressure of people that that did not agree with that uh that approach in the first place. I think like Chuck Schumer voted against it at, mm-hmm. <laughs> when Obama did it uh, in the first place. Uh, so now the the one kind of possible bright spot about the Biden administration was the idea that they could go back to sort of normalizing relations with Iran using diplomatic means like the Iran deal to uh, kind of resolve some of the tensions in the in the region. And now with, with what uh, has happened this week, I feel like that's going to be a lot more difficult. And um, it might just make it easier for Joe Biden to just go to not do it, uh, not do something that he maybe was not planning on doing in the first place. So I guess we're going to keep monitoring that. Uh, you know, like you, like you pointed out, there's another month to go. Who knows what else uh, the Trump administration is going to uh, you know, pull out of their asses uh, over the next month to make things even more chaotic and difficult. So I guess we've all got to sort of uh, keep our eye on it. So do you want to just like uh, just want to introduce Richie? Then we'll uh... sure. So right after this, we'll have Richie Serjenko of 
People's City Council, L.A., and Sunrise, L.A. by Richie Serjenko. Richie, you are an organizer and activist in in L.A. You've been on the front lines of kind of the fight to protect uh, people experiencing homelessness uh, or are unhoused, you know, friends and family and neighbors uh, stay in homes during this this holiday season, uh, despite efforts by, you know, California, like Highway Patrol and, and local police. Um, but, you know, we wanted to welcome you to the show and we, we open every show the same way. Uh, with a really important question. Yeah. Are you a gamer? Am I? Uh, <laughs> I play the, uh, not on your level, Jordan, but I play 2K. I play, play a lot of NBA 2K. I'm a big uh, gamer okay. on that on that end. All right. Um, that but, counts. you know, I, I spend a lot of my time uh, chasing down politicians and yelling at them in front of their homes and, and things like that. I don't have as much time to game as I as I would yeah. like. Well, that's kind of like a game. It's kind, kind of like a game, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah no. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's – people may have heard of us, uh, People City Council. We have – you know, the reason why a lot of people know of us because we do go to elected officials' houses and chant them down or shout them down if they try to come outside. And uh, generally, it's an all-around bird dog effort uh, on our end typically. Yeah. Well, it's an important it's important work you're doing and there's no shortage of people that deserve that kind of treatment mm, out there right exactly. now. But uh, the reason the reason we wanted to bring you on today to talk I mean, I mean there's a whole broader eviction crisis happening uh, or that's on the verge of becoming a a very serious uh, crisis in the United States, but um the main reason we wanted to reach out was because of some of the footage that went viral uh, a few days ago um of some housing rights activists in El Sereno who had been um Basically, taking up residence in some of the uh, the the um, the homes that were you know the empty homes that are there, mm-hmm. and um, were State then subjected, homes. yeah, and were then subjected to kind of like brutal violence by the by the CHP. Um, very very troubling stuff. Uh, really hard to look at. And actually, you know, the night before Thanksgiving, seeing teenagers getting thrown to the ground and hogtied mm. by police officers uh, for just trying to seek shelter uh, in a in a, a home which no one is living in. Uh, so, what can you tell us about this uh, about this situation and um, how you're and how you're involved in it uh, peripherally? Yeah, absolutely. And you described the situation pretty well in Sereno. like these were um, 20 or so state owned homes uh, owned by the state that have been uh, unoccupied for years, like 10 plus years. Yeah. Um, and it's like, why? Like we, we have an out, uh, uh, a housing crisis in Los Angeles, right? Like we, we have 45,000 people who live on the streets in Los Angeles, in the city of Los Angeles, in the County, it's like 60 plus. Um, and so these, these houses are owned by the state, but they're sitting unused. Right. And what, what, what exactly is the point of that? It's, it's because they don't want to become, you know, landlords and they, they essentially they they originally were holding on to it so they could expand the freeway. That project was actually shot down, um, and then a bunch of families, uh, you know, decided that they were going to reclaim these homes. Um, and families from that neighborhood, it, you know, that's that's their neighborhood. That's where they live. They have a connection to that neighborhood, and these houses are just sitting on unoccupied. And especially during a pandemic. Um, there's absolutely it's it, it's extremely unnecessary for people to be living on the streets when we have open houses and at a time especially in Los Angeles where on Monday they are going to institute a new shelter in place order um, how can unsheltered people shelter in place right and mm-hmm. like so they need housing right we need fucking housing for people that live on the streets and they decided that they were you know take matters in their own hands and you know, occupy these homes. Um, and this has actually been a proven successful strategy 
as shown by the Moms for Housing in, in Oakland. Um, and two Moms for Housing activists actually just got elected for, for a, you know, office in Northern California. And so it, it's, it's proven effective and, it, and it's proven that we can actually do this. And also in Los Angeles, um, there's another group called Hillside Via that um, they just, uh, um, they got the elected officials in Los Angeles to use eminent domain to, to buy this property and, and keep families in their homes. So it's entirely possible for the state to do this right um but anyways on that night like chp was going around from house to house busting down the doors with uh you know with the battering ram um going in like they were about to fucking capture osama bin laden i'm sure you saw the videos like yeah like assault weapons ready to go and just like really incredibly overkill yeah like like handful of cops with their assault rifles in their hands pointed into the windows and it's like there are kids in there and like this whole operation is to pull um you know families out of these homes these aren't like you know i just want to make this comparison and and it's not like whether it's right or wrong but like they weren't busting up a drug den they won't they weren't Mm -hmm. busting up like a, a a drug kingpin's house where he's got guns and shit all over the house they were busting into these houses to rip mothers and teenagers out of there. You know what I mean? So it's just yep. like completely unnecessary. Um, and you want to know why they did it that night is because on Thanksgiving or whatever that 24 hour cycle is, they get triple time overtime payment. So they Jesus waited Christ. until that night of Thanksgiving. So all of those officers out there, could then rack up all of that overtime money um and so careful though because you're getting into defund the police territory and as we've been told by the the wise folks of the in the democratic party consultancy class that when we talk like this it really hurts democratic candidates trying to win so we gotta we gotta we gotta watch out with some of that language when we get i'll I'll add to this i'll add to that (laughs) to, to this caveat because one i am a i'm also a digital consultant and i will tell you that in Los Angeles, defund the police measures uh, as Measure J passed in Los Angeles. Uh, Nithya Raman, who supported the people's budget to defund the police, beat a candidate who was who the police union spent $100,000 on. Jackie Lacey, who all of the police unions spent millions of dollars on, lost to uh, quote-unquote progressive challenger George Gascon. So uh, defund the police and, and that kind of messaging does work in places. Um, you just need people to put in the work to do it, and you don't have to listen to fucking shitty-ass centrists who uh, don't know how to win. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so anyways, sorry yeah. I interrupted you there, but... It's, it's, it's all good. Can be careful, because I have hardcore ADHD, so like we can yeah, go <laughs> down a rapid hole of something we weren't supposed to talk about. But uh, no, yeah, so that night, um, they were just pulling people out of their homes. And, and it's like, okay, a question for you guys now, where do these families go? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great and question. I mean, it, it, it really speaks to, you know, the issue at hand. Like these, like these families don't have the resources. We don't, as we've seen, I mean, this isn't a new problem in LA. Like there's mm-hmm. an inadequate response to... Um, you know the homelessness problem in in LA, and like through no fault of the, the people experiencing this problem, it's it's it, there mm-hmm. are infinite like basically infinite resources to go around that could be used to help these people, and there's mm-hmm. just a general unwillingness to do so, and that's what's reflected here. And you see like these trite little messages from like people like Gavin Newsom who are like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, just so thankful, you know, let's take a time, let, you know, everyone, I'm so thankful for all of the first first responders or, or the frontline workers and all this shit. And just like as at the same time, it's like these people who are just being ripped out of these homes who just need somewhere to go on Thanksgiving. It's so unbelievably cruel <laughs> during a pandemic. Just disgusting. Yeah, during mm-hmm. a pandemic. Yes, <laughs> it's like come on. Like they're not even like they're not even trying to hide it. Yeah, and, and so and another point, and you know, I know we joked about defund the police, but in Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti's budget gives fifty four percent of the general funds to LAPD. Like LAPD gets three billion dollars of our budget, and so when we talk about like not having money for like other resources and not having money to put people in their homes and not having enough money for housing, it's because all of that money actually goes to the police, and and we have like sayings in Los Angeles like services not sweeps, care not cops, housekeeping not handcuffs like those are those are things that we have been harping on um and there have been people in la that have been doing it for so long longer much longer than i have and 
if all the fucking money, $3 billion go to the cops. And for what reason? And I don't know if you've seen us in front of the mayor's house the past few few mornings, but uh, we've been met with, uh, you know, a militarized police presence for the past week every morning at Garcetti's. I don't know if you guys have been seeing the block Garcetti movement. I have. Yep. So, yeah, I know we're trying like, why the fuck would Joe Biden appoint Eric Garcetti <laughs> to be, to be housing secretary when like <laughs> LA has like we have a crisis in Los yeah. Angeles a housing crisis a, and uh uh the unhoused population has doubled in his 7 years as mayor and so why the fuck would he be in charge of housing at a national level yeah it's almost insulting uh, yeah i think at some point it transcends just like a an uh, an out of touch you know, like tone deaf pick and just becomes deliberate. Like a deliberate fuck you to anyone who's trying to like address these problems. It's just oh, like, well, we've got the power. We've got the, you know, we've got the connections. We've got the money. We've got the control. Like, fuck you. Get out of our way. I, that's ultimately to me. It's what it seems like at the end of the day with these, as these things continue to happen. Well, that's what it is, right? I, I think like you guys probably talk about this a lot. Like this, the neoliberal establishment, like they're just buddies. Like the only reason he's yeah. going to get that job is because he's buddies with with fucking people in the establishment and mm -hmm. that like he only wants to pursue like higher office for like his career and his legacy. Like this guy doesn't give a fuck about helping people and he's just his he's buddies with people in power and that's why he'd get the job, not because he's fucking deserves it. Right, right. There's nothing about his record that would say, oh, this is the most qualified guy. Yeah, except that, like, yeah, you've, you're in charge of a city with this massive, massive crisis, so you're used to dealing with the crisis. But the fact that you've not able to actually come upon any actual solutions to the crisis <laughs> doesn't seem to factor into that. It's just like, oh yeah, you're, 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 you know, you're in charge of a city where there's this hom homelessness and our unhoused uh, person issue. So therefore, you get the job. But you know, the fact that you've done actually nothing to resolve that doesn't seem to factor in. And it's kind of yeah, and it's I mean, you know. Is that the direction that seemingly, obviously, you know, what Joe Biden is going to lead us into? Um, this is why I kind of focus on local politics, because thinking we can, you know, it, it affect Joe Biden or the Democratic establishment at, at that level is uh, beyond us at, at this point in our in our uh, in our movement. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, let's get it. Let's get into the, the cabinet picks and kind of the, the general like national level response to this type of stuff like we're seeing we're seeing like these tone deaf picks from you know various different climate um advisors or 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 liaisons was was, was one of the roles and um you know it, it represents i think you know just like a general callousness uh or indifference at best uh, to to these problems and but at worst it's like you know like I said because it's, it's a it's a fuck you and a middle finger to, to activists and people trying to address these problems because he's part of the rich elite class um, you are someone who organizes also with Sunrise in LA I mean what's your take on on some of these picks to to address the climate, uh, the climate uh, crisis? yeah I mean it's it's incredibly frustrating because uh, you know Joe Biden did, you know, uh, adjust his climate plan as we headed into the general election. And it was seem it seemed like that was potentially something uh, that we could win on. And, you know, when he picks people like Cedric Richmond or people that have ties to the fossil fuel industry um, and he continues to say things like, you know, he won't ban fracking. Uh, it's like, damn, bro, like we 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 don't have time for that we don't mm -hmm. we can't we can't like continue to fuck around on climate like we need urgent climate action immediately um but also like if you pay attention to not enough of what sunrise does the the whole theory of change for for the climate movement is that we need to readjust our priorities and our budget priorities and appointing people like eric garcetti uh to to housing like that that doesn't seem like a realignment of priorities it doesn't seem like these these appointments for or climate advisors uh that he has around him that doesn't seem like radical change like or the necessary change and it's uh it's just disappointing i mean what what, what do you how do you all feel like like it, it, when you see that happen um it doesn't give me like much hope for like fucking joe biden yeah, well, I think for me, it's just it's another long 
it's another part of like a long list of examples of liberal politicians like Joe Biden who run on certain policies and, and you know, will will adopt a platform designed to like be encouraging to people to activists like climate activists or housing activists. Um, but what never seems to get, what always seems to be forgotten is that there's often a very large gap between like what's in their platform when they're running to get elected and like what are their actual actions going to be. And I feel like the writing was always on the wall with Biden for what what a Joe Biden administration would look like. But even throughout that primary, I had many people like when I would criticize Joe Biden saying like, well, look at his look at his like great climate plan, his trillion dollar climate plan. And it's like that's what we're seeing is that's just completely meaningless. Like it's someone they can put whatever they want in their platform and their in their in their plan that they're allegedly going to enact or attempt to enact when they get into office. But there's no evidence that, that someone like a Joe Biden is going to actually do any of that. Mm-hmm. And people just can't continually get fooled by this and allow themselves to believe that like, oh, yeah, maybe he's being sincere about this. But, you know, if you look at the last several decades of this guy's career, it should be <laughs> obvious what his priorities are. And that's that was never going to be one of his priorities. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is another example of why uh, we should, you know, for people on the left that actually want to bring change and, and you want to effectuate change, like we should focus on the local and state level. Like, fuck Joe Biden. You're not going to fucking move Joe, Joe Biden on anything. Um, but you can win city council seats. You can you can win ballot yeah. propositions. Um, you can, uh, you know, uh, you can vote out a district attorney that didn't prosecute any of the 620 uh, police killings in, in Los Angeles in her seven years. You know what I mean? So uh, all, it's really frustrating to, to talk about all this national stuff when uh, it's like it's really so far out of our control. Like he he's not going to listen to us. He's got fucking billionaires stuff in his pockets. And yeah. I love that they were raising money for the transition team when – he uh when he's so close with those people with so much money it's like oh you're gonna raise money maybe they can pay for it it's fucking (laughs) ridiculous well that's always the justification for those types of things like on that point like people were asking like oh why you know what is this why are people mad don't you want like small dollar donors to fund this kind of stuff and it's like yeah the justification for him having like a super PAC and corporate donors and big money donors was that grassroots donors aren't enough so then an inter like a, a mix of both just ends in a a hybrid system where grassroots donors are just subsidizing mm-hmm. yeah like mm-hmm. corporate efforts for yeah, no reason account- with nothing yeah. in return yeah and they're not accountable to the small mm-hmm. the small donor right. the small donors they're accountable to the big donors and the lobbyists and the and those t- folks i mean there should be no illusions about that i mean that seems clear yeah absolutely i mean i think that's the, the best way to put it like we can't like we, they're not they're not beholden to us they sure they will raise money but it's it's a different feel from that and like bernie sanders you know like a bunch of people were he had a bunch of small donors because they thought he was going to be a fighter for for the uh, working class for poor people you know what i mean um but you know joe biden that, he doesn't promise that so like the small dollar donors like they're they're just donating to a guy who doesn't really give a shit to, about uh, uh, most of the country. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to, cause you mentioned the whole, like how the fracking fracking became such a, such a contentious issue throughout this uh, election. And you had the Republicans kind of framing, framing uh, Biden and, and Harris as they were going to be like this, they're going to ban fracking immediately. And then of course, instead of just like talking about why, it would be good to do such a thing and why fracking is in fact very bad. Um, instead, they, they, they kind of flip flop and say, no, 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 never. We love fracking. We love fracking. We're never going to ban it. We refuse to ban it. And part of the justification for that was like, well, fracking is a big thing in Pennsylvania. Like, do you want to, do you want to win Pennsylvania or not? That's kind of the, the justification for it. But ultimately, um, you know, the, the, that's the reason, the reason that, uh, that, Biden was able to win Pennsylvania wasn't because of his uh, his support for fracking was because like activists in urban centers in in Pennsylvania worked overtime worked their asses off to deliver that election to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're not fuck fuck Joe Biden. Though okay, so the way the way that I view politicians is that they're just like chess pieces, right? And so like we can only do what we can as far as like at the local levels or get in the streets to create 
you know, mass civil disobedience and get to a critical mass where it's impossible to ignore the movement, you know? But like, I don't like, I view Joe Biden as like, you know, he's just whatever. He's going to fucking listen to corporate lobbyists and the Democratic establishment. And there's nothing that we can really do to affect Joe Biden or his administration. But there are things that we can do as far as movement wise to shift the narrative and to continue to push Joe Biden and the administration by other means because we're not going to directly get to him and change his mind. You know what I mean? But if we cause enough trouble outside of people's houses or, or oil executive houses or, or uh, elected officials houses and disrupt their lives. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, just um, uh, going back to the situation in uh, El Sereno, I think that's the kind of the really frustrating thing. We can, we can look and see the statistics of the amount of homelessness that, that, uh, that gets experienced in California or in any major urban center, like to, I mean, Canada and Toronto is no different. There's there's incredible amounts of homelessness uh, in Toronto as well, um, and then combine that with the fact that there's so much like empty infrastructure, um, and it's just like that that contradiction I think really throws people off because it's it seems so clear like what the solution to this problem is. Um, and then when you see, when you see like the fact that it's it's met with this very intentional brutality and intentional cruelty. Um, I, that's why it's so upsetting, you know, and especially when you realize that, like, when you factor into the actual economics of this situation, like the actual cost effect mm. of what it would cost to just uh, take these unhoused populations and just give them shelter and just mm -hmm. put them in housing that already exists, it would be significantly lower than the ongoing system of keeping these people unhoused, of using the police, like you were mentioning, to like to brutalize these people when they're trying to get shelter. And that's when you realize that it's not even about economics. It's not even about saving money. It's like it's it's this situation is very intentionally kept uh, this way for a specific reason. And um, when you see that kind of brutality being used on people that are only trying to find shelter, it's hard to know like what the what the solution is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but the the solutions to end homelessness have have been stated and, and researched and found. The the one thing that we can do to stop homelessness is to give people housing and to give people money um yeah. and it's pretty simple that that's that's just how you do it and so like instead of spending three billion dollars on the police in los angeles why don't we take some because and then i'll i'll, I'll make this connection for you like we spend three billion dollars on the police in los angeles um we also criminalize homelessness in los angeles so like laying sitting and sleeping on the sidewalk in los angeles you can you can be arrested for that and then after you get arrested, that's a resource, right? You, the officer has to go through and process and is getting paid for that. And then they have to put that, that unhoused person into the system, right? And then not only do they put them into the system, they take all their belongings away. They likely throw their belongings away. And so now after putting all of that money into like criminalizing this person's existence, you're now putting them back onto the streets with no belongings and nowhere to go and really no assistance. And so, and then what happens, you know, that person is struggling and when people don't have their material needs met, that's when crime goes up, right? And that, and that's when like thing, things happen because these people are trying to survive. And so it's like, we spend all of this money to criminalize these people's existence instead of just taking that money and spending it on housing or putting them in, the, in empty houses or what we have been calling for to seize the hotels because there are hundreds of thousands of open hotel rooms in Los Angeles, especially from hotel, uh, you know, provide uh, housing or, or whatever it is, hotels, they get hell of money from the city in subsidies, right? In tax breaks. And so the city has given them all, all of these like financial incentives to be in Los Angeles. But now when it's time, you know, where we have this crisis and there's hella ho open hotel rooms, like we don't do anything about it. We just let those hotel rooms sit empty. While like, you know, we know to protect, to, to protect people from COVID, we have to like keep them in, in shelter. And, you know, another misconception about shelters, like homeless shelters, you know, that's not permanent housing, right? That's temporary housing. And then, and what we just discussed, the only way to fix the homelessness crisis is housing, permanent housing. Shelters are temporary housing. And then especially when you go to shelter, you know, not everyone has the best experience there. And also if you're with your partner or with your dog, like you sometimes you get separated. And so all of these solutions that are currently going on aren't really working. 
Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's incredibly sad to see there are solutions that uh, that could work. Um, but, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, elected officials refuse to implement them. Yeah. It's kind of one of the interesting things about the Trump era, right? It's this kind of one common phrase that we ended up hearing a lot. Uh, the cruelty is the point, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which um, which is true, right? We see the the way that, that Trump has been in kind of inflicting very intentional cruelty on like the uh, refugees and migrants, the trans community for no real reason other than to like punish these people who they do they deem as like inferior or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think it's also missing something where people uh, assume that a lot of this stuff started under Trump and it's going to finish when Trump <laughs> leaves office. But as we see with these kind of situations, I mean, that's it's that's kind of part of our entire economic system. Um, it's not about saving money. Uh, if people were interested in saving money when it comes to unhoused people, like you're pointing out, it would just be it'd be more cost effective to put them into homes, mm-hmm. or people experience dr- experiencing uh, drug addiction. Right? It's more exp- it's it's more cost effective to give these people health care, or to you know put them into. Um, or to give them safe injection sites or things like this. Mm. Uh, but then using the police as this kind of cudgel to like brutalize these people. Uh, that's it. It's like, it's not about saving money. It's about like uh, punishing who are seen as like social deviants. And this is happening in like the bluest of blue places. <laughs> you know, it's like, you can talk about vote, voting blue no matter who, but the, a lot of the stuff that were happening that we've seen uh, with the housing crisis um, with with the the uprisings about against police uh, violence and systemic racism, systemic racism, this is all happening in places that are controlled completely by the Democratic Party. Yep. So after certain people, that's a certain point, people do have to kind of learn this lesson that the cruelty that's kind of baked into this economic system that I think we see it in very stark relief in the United States, but we see it all over the world. Um, it's not. It does has nothing to do with Donald Trump, and it's going to continue when Donald Trump leaves office. And the solutions have to go beyond voting for the good guys, voting for the good political party who don't do these things because they do, and they support a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I mean Donald Donald Trump is uh, you know pretty bad person, but the, these issues uh, are in a state like you said with in Los Angeles with Democratic mayor. In California, with a Democratic governor, with the Cal- with the California uh, Assembly and State Senate being a Democratic supermajority, um, you know, and these things are still happening. And you're, it's exactly it's the economic system that we live in, and but it's also these other systems like the policing system, the incarceration system, these things that are inherently uh, racist and have been operating for a long time. And people like Gavin Newsom and Eric Garcetti uphold uphold these systems through liberal white supremacy. And Dr. Melina Abdallah from Black Lives Matter LA, you know, that's one thing that she and BLM consistently hit on is that this is liberal white supremacy. You can, you know, you can be fluent in Spanish. You can keep, um, you know, some black people around you. You can say all of the nice things, say you've been um, on, on, you know, retreat, uh, uh, going to other countries and helping other countries. But, you know, when it comes down to it, you still give $3 billion to the police and over 600 people in Los Angeles have been killed at the hands of the police during Eric Garcetti's tenure, you know, four unhoused people a day in Los Angeles die on the streets under Eric Garcetti's tenure. And so it's like, yeah, no, absolutely. Bo Blue No Better Who is bullshit and it's these whole systems that exist that need to, you know, these, these systems need to be destroyed. We need, we need to tear down these systems and then build something beautiful after that. One thing that I think, um, you know, an example of that is how they push shitty candidates to embody these worst problems, like the, and these systemic problems, uh, onto us. And like, you know, it's like, oh, you will, you know, would, would as, as democratic candidates. And then the alternative is like, oh, do you want the Republican? Well, and ex- uh, so in uh, outside of L.A., in California's 25th, is, uh, you know, a Democratic candidate, Christy Smith, Santa Clarita, Simi Valley. Mm-hmm, she had an mm-hmm. F, as a state legislator, had an F rating from Courage, California, one of the lowest scores of all Democrats, because she had uh, voted to prevent or block penalties for landlords for violating the Fair Housing Act. Uh, voted to allow landlords to discriminate against applicants based on Section 8 status, From uh, voted against restoring voting rights, uh, voted against allowing returning citizens to serve on juries, and a bunch of other issues that embody what we understand to be 
you know, policy aspects or, or components of society that embody and, f- and perpetuate white supremacy. And she, you know, stood with Republicans time and time again. And then runs as a Democrat and is being told, and you're now like, you know, not gaslit, but you're kind of like, in bad faith, met with the response, oh, we'll do what you want the Republican and said, if you even point out, this is her record, this is who the Democrats picked to run. This is who, from the get, uh, put her in red to blue, uh, backed her with DCCC money, you know, threw all the establishment effort behind her, Warren, and even Bernie backed her. It's like, come on. You don't have to get involved in this race. (laughs) It's so disappointing. But it's like, oh, well, do you want the Republican? No, I want a Democrat who doesn't do all of this shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like. We don't have to do that, right? Like you're saying, like we don't have to, we don't have to uh, endorse and support this candidate. We can actually, uh, you know, push for for a more progressive candidate. More, uh, you know, like they just they they pick these candidates and be like, all right, this is it, and like this is who the establishment wants to run, and you know, it's our job to shake up the establishment and um, continue to you know primary people and continue to organize our communities so when it is time for elections that like we are prepared to um you know use our people power and and vote out these these centrist democrats especially in california right there's no excuse for um you know this this kind of complacent centrist shit like we we can actually push for something more but um, you know, if you from a statewide level, like everyone in the California state legislature takes money from the oil and gas, like everyone takes money from the police unions. And so that's why we can't that's why we can't have nice things. And it's the same. It's the same all the way up, up, the up, up the way in D.C. Like these politicians are controlled by who spends money on them and their campaigns. And they they pay them back by, you know, not not passing aggressive enough, uh, you know, legislation yeah and i wanted to tie this back to canada as well i mentioned toronto's homelessness crisis as well and we're seeing a lot of the same kind of reactions um from the political class in toronto who who rely on a kind of on a kind of like progressive language to talk about these issues uh but don't actually do anything to solve them even though just as in toronto as in there is in la and most major urban centers there's plenty of housing to go around for everybody uh but of course this never banded about as a solution so yesterday we had uh or sorry on the 22nd of november we had john tory the mayor of toronto who replaced the 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 rob ford back in the day um who proclaimed uh, national housing day in toronto and and they turned the toronto sign red to show their support for housing and how housing is a human right mm-hmm. meanwhile there's such a profound homeless cr- homelessness crisis affecting toronto right now there's actually this man who raised $150,000 on gofundme to literally just go out and start building these shelters for homeless people to use and the city's like uh holding them legally accountable and they're threatening to destroy destroy the shelters oh and arrest this guy who's trying to just do what he can to like build shelters for homeless people um so that, I think that's part of the problem is that, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter, it seems like, what political leanings we, we vote in um, of the people that we vote into these these prominent positions. This is kind of baked into our economic system. And this is the thing that's kind of not being addressed on a fundamental level, whether it's in Toronto, Los Angeles, or wherever. Uh, and it's just, it's you know, it's just incredibly frustrating to see this continually happen. And it's like uh, so. When when do we when do we start changing these things? When, like when when is the time to solve this crisis? And and I think you hinted it at the beginning. Like there is there is going to be the fucked up thing is that when Trump gets out of office, like there he's been keeping the economy afloat, like you know uh, by just synthetically, um, and we're going to be struck with an actual eviction crisis sometime soon. Right. Um, yeah, because the, the COVID is getting worse. Right. And like people are still getting sick. I think in Los Angeles, it's now one in every 125 people, uh, are are at risk or, or have gotten COVID. Um, and so that's not going anywhere. It's only, it's only going to continue to get worse and people, and instead of paying people to stay home and, and, and get shelter, like the government doesn't want to do that. So they keep the economy going and they, um, they don't want to pay people to stay home. So people are going to continue to get sick. 
but then also like people are going to continue to lose their jobs and then what happens when they lose their jobs and that artificial uh you know unemployment goes away uh you know people aren't going to be paying for going to be able to pay for housing and then they're going to be out on the streets and so we already have 45,000 people living on the streets in Los Angeles and there's a, a report from UCLA Luskin that came out that um, 36,000 renter households with 56,000 children um, are at risk of becoming homeless, uh, you know, when, when the eviction uh, moratorium runs up. And that is equal to, in Los Angeles, uh, up to 120,000 people may be affected by this, which is like, or at risk of losing their homes, right? 120,000 people. That's that's a lot of people that could be out on the streets. That's a fucking that's triple the homeless population right now. Yeah, and it's something we've been talking about for for a, a couple months now. This kind of looming eviction crisis in the United States, um, which the, so the can has been kind of kicked down the road since the last time we spoke about this with the CDC eviction moratorium, which is about to expire. And you mentioned the Los Angeles County, and that could affect potentially 40 million Americans across the country. And it just like, like that's a, that's such a staggering, like unfathomable number that it's hard to even wrap your mind around like that amount of people uh, potentially being affected by this. And so far, like, I don't see any real action being taken to like prevent this from happening. It seems like. I mean, not, yeah, not on any level, not on national level, not on, not on local level. Like it's fucking ridiculous. Like, um, locally they have the ability to cancel rent statewide. They have the ability to cancel rent and stop evictions, like actually stop evictions. Like there's a fake eviction moratorium right now. Um, and there's about there's a bunch of loopholes and means testing for that eviction moratorium. So statewide, they can just enact an eviction moratorium with no means testing. Citywide, they could cancel rent. Uh, nationally, they could send us fucking money, and they're not doing any of it. They haven't done it for months, and it's like okay, like the cruelty is the point. We're they're fucking over so many people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and one thing that's been then pissing me off is the kind of just the flaunting of their privilege and status. Like you see. Newsom going to that like private dinner party. Um, you like he, he lives in this like fucking enormous mansion. Uh, you know he has, like he he made headlines last year when he bought the biggest mansion in Oakland or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, hold on one second for the people listening at home. Gavin Newsom's home address is the flaunting of status and privilege, and we're seeing it from governors like all over the country, Democratic governors uh, as well. Just you know, flaunting the same sort of guidelines and restrictions that they've imposed on people, people who are suffering. Like the like the the governor of New Jersey, there was a video of someone yelling at him, like, Oh hey, you're you're out you're out here not wearing a mask. Him and his family were all out to dinner. And I pointed it out, it's like this sucks. Like like the whole thing about it sucks. Like people were yelling about restrictions that they weren't that clearly weren't even following anyway. And he was there with his family and his family weren't wearing masks. Um, and they're out to dinner and they were like asking the people who were filming them to put on their masks and it's just like everyone's yelling at each other nobody wins it's ugly it's a complete mess it's a great description of where we're at right now and all of these liberals were like replying well I don't know how you would eat without with a mask on it's like you just don't go out I, I'm not I don't go right. out to fucking restaurants <laughs> he lives in a mansion with a private chef like he lives in a fucking governor's mansion <laughs> and there's a team of people there to make food for him you don't need to go to the restaurant like I understand the frustration no. from people who feel like they are like actively being suppressed and like you say there's an inadequate response across the board national local state people need fucking help and they're dipping into their savings if they even have savings to survive we're going to see spikes in evictions as these moratoriums expire an inadequate response from from likely the biden administration too and people are suffering i understand the outrage stop defending these fucking governors and politicians who don't give a shit about you they do not fucking care about you and it like the video and the outrage around it in every sort of way really encapsulated the moment we're in everyone's mad at each other no one's doing anything everyone loses yeah, I mean, uh, and you didn't mention that Gavin Newsom was at the home of a, a oil lobbyist. <laughs> of course, um, <laughs> <he was. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. How do we forget that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he was not following, you know, his own stay at home orders. He was hanging out with uh, oil and gas uh, lobbyists. Like, it's just the epitome of what, you know, what we view as Gavin Newsom as. Like, he, he, He's he's a, a good looking guy who uh, has says all the right things, but, you know, every step of the way has proven that he is just a, a corporate establishment shill. Like, I mean, he said that he would stop uh, granting fracking permits, but he's continued to do that in 2020. Um, I think there's been over a thousand oil and gas wells that have been approved in 2020. Um, like this guy, he tweets climate period change period is period real all the time <laughs> as if sometimes even oh, throws the hand claps baby. in there yeah, to really fucking, show how serious it is it pisses me <laughs> off so goddamn much because this like his social team is doing that but this dude just gives out fracking permits gives out oil and gas permits it's like it's such a fucking joke like it's and you know yeah he doesn't care why he makes a lot he makes a lot of money he comes from a wealthy family he's got he's got that getty money like he he doesn't care so why why would he care about over 150,000 people in california living on the streets um he's not impacted you know it's not like he's in office because he wants to help people he's in office because it's a, it's a status thing he care he wants to he wants to pursue and he wants to be the man he wants to be gavin newsom the man instead of you know caring for people that he that he represents yeah. I just wanted to ask a little bit about um, about solutions, right? Because I think a lot of people that paid attention to sort of the Democratic Party primary and the general election, I think are rightfully kind of disillusioned with like electoralism and what can be what can be accomplished with it. But like you pointed out earlier, uh, if you're passionate about these issues, whether it's whether it's the housing crisis, uh, police violence, uh, the uh, climate change, you can have a lot of impact uh, through using electoralism in local elections and, and making change like that. But I was wondering, like, uh, for people that are, are really passionate about this stuff, particularly housing, because like we, this is something that uh, you know th- this is the main reason we brought you on to talk to us. It's one of the main uh, uh, avenues of activism, the activism that you're involved with. How would you recommend that people get involved, like on a local level, to kind of confront this crisis? Because as we've pointed out on, uh, uh, throughout this episode. Um, it's not like politicians like on the local level or or on the federal level seem too interested in like doing much about this. So if, if you're listening to this and you're horrified about this impending crisis and you do want to help um, beyond getting involved with like local elections and things like that, how would you recommend that people um, confront this crisis themselves? Yeah, I think it's well, the first things first is understanding it's a crisis and it's a crisis because housing is not available for people and services are not available for people. And so, and we also have to think about how we talk about and how we think about our unhoused neighbors. So refer to them as being unhoused neighbors. They are, you know, stakeholders of that community, right? The reason why a lot of unhoused people don't want to leave the you know, the place that they're in is because that's the community that they live in. So imagine just being displaced from the community that you live in. And so when you talk about them, you know, it, we have to start reacting to the situation in a more humane name, right? In humane manner. And just understanding that, you know, they, they are members of that community as well that you live in. And so when you see an unhoused person, Um, it's not the worst thing to give them some water and some food and to check in with them and to talk to them and see if they need anything to see if they have masks, to see if they have blankets since it's, it's winter time and see it's cold, right. And see if you can do something to support that person, because that person is not getting the necessary governmental support. Right. And so that, I think that's the very base thing that people have to understand about, you know, what we can do, like these these people are being failed by their government from at all aspects and right like it's not up to to us to like fix it through legislation or whatever but we can provide support like you know if there's an encampment by your house like every week like go check in and see if they need something do outreach like there there are groups in los angeles like k-town for all la can they do outreach and they go talk to our unhoused neighbors and see what they need and, you know, bring them food and bring them water and bring these supplies because the government is not doing it. 
right? And I think, you know, another way, it's just, it's just organizing locally and organizing your communities. That's like number one thing someone can do. Um, you know, talk to your friends and family and be like, yeah, we should try to figure out what we can do to help, right? Can we bring meals? Can we do outreach? Can we show up at protests outside elected officials' houses? Because we've, in Los Angeles, we've picked up wins that way as, as far as like going to disrupt elected officials. Like if they don't want to fucking help get people shelter, then they don't deserve a second of peace. And so you should find out where your elected official lives. You should go outside their house with a megaphone and some cars and disrupt them. Um, You should get their cell phone numbers and you should call them and disrupt their lives because if they don't want to fucking help people that are suffering, then they don't deserve a a moment of peace. Um, And, you know, that's, that's honestly a few things that people can do at, 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 you know, in their local communities. Um, See, see what your local elected officials are voting on. What are they doing to actually solve this issue with the understanding that housing is the only way to fix this problem? Like, are there hella vacant homes like in your city? Are there hotel rooms like tourism is down? People aren't traveling because of COVID. Like, you can also try to commandeer hotel rooms. You should rent a rent a hotel room and put an unhoused person in there and um, try to occupy that room. Uh, there are things you can do to cause commotion and cause, you know, a fury of social media um, pre- uh, and, you know, try to have a social media presence like we have. Like we have shown like, hey, this issue is going on and we try to uh, project that on social media so more, more people can see. Yeah, and you hit on something too that, that I think is worth – mentioning as well, which is just on a fundamental level, I think what you're talking about is that if you grow up in this kind of economic system, these people, these these unhoused folks have been dehumanized so much by the system. And if you grow up in the system, you're kind of really trained to see them as non-people or to not Mm -hmm. see them at all. And that's kind of on the fundamental level, like before all that, that kind of mutual aid can take place, you have to kind of unlearn that, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of realize that these are, in fact, human beings that need our help and that need our compassion. Um, so like, in addition to all the all the very tangible, real ways that you're mentioning, I think that's that's something on a fundamental, fun, on a fundamental level that we all need to uh, work on, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's that's what I was trying to hit on at the very beginning. Like, we have to you know, the language that we use when we talk about people that live on the streets, right? And how we view them and how we talk about them actually is very meaningful because uh, our current society, we've been taught to think like, it's that person's fault that they're living on the streets, they want to live on the streets, or they have a drug problem, or they have mental issues, which may be the case, but they don't have the services for those mental issues, right? They may have a drug problem, but they don't have... uh, you know, a safe space to do it, a safe way to get drugs, um, you know, the way that drugs are criminalized, the way drug dealing is criminalized, and drug use is criminalized, all of those things. And so we have to view it, stop stop viewing it as like, it's a, it's a personal decision, decision or someone's fault. It's more of a failure of the system that has allowed that to happen. Oh, one, one thing I do want to mention, the reason why we got those electoral wins in Los Angeles, you know, with Measure J passing, with Jackie Lacey losing, with Nithya Raman winning and beating David Rue, though all three of those things have been backed by grassroots movement organizers and organizations. And the reason why those we, we got those victories is because of the people power and the people on the ground and people doing the work. And like BLM had protested uh, Jackie Lacey for three years, right? And so it's like the groundwork has been laid and people, the reason why we got those victories is because of people on the ground doing the work and organizing. And I think it can be replicated across the country and everywhere. Um, But like it requires the people to actually go and do it. Like stop fucking complaining everything does suck we can complain but like if you want to go change it you you need to organize at a local level stop fucking complaining about joe biden and go see who you can unseat in city council yep 
Well, yeah, that seems like a good place to leave it on. But yeah. Richie, I understand your Twitter has been, I understand your Twitter account has been right. uh, banned for for posting the posting the uh, information about public officials, uh, which I believe is available to everyone. But we won't need to get into the the fairness of that. Uh, what happened there? But do you just want to let everyone know where they can reach out to you, or where they can find your organization, or um, yeah, right before you sign off? Absolutely. So on Twitter, um, you can find. Me at People City Council, uh, PPLS City Council. Um, we have a pretty popping Twitter uh, page. We try to keep it fresh. We kind of we try to get new graphics and, and stuff in there weekly and daily. Um, Jordan, follow us. I think I think we're a decent follow on Twitter. Um, my tw- my Twitter has been suspended, permanent suspended, but you may find me on there one day on, under a very generic and basic handle. I may come back one day. Um, but on Instagram, you can follow me, um, uh, Richie, Sir, Richie underscore Serjanko. I'm sure my name will be somewhere attached to this episode. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, Richie, thank you for joining us. Sweet. Well, thank you for having me on, of guys. Course. Appreciate you. And uh, I'm looking forward to to this episode. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. We, we, it was great to talk to you, and we'll, we'll keep in touch. All right. Take care. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>